0: I am Simone Cipriani, and I am an officer of the United Nations.
1: And I'm Claire Press, and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist.
0: You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world.
1: Last time for episode six, I spoke with Raffaella Iudice about how the EFI began working in Afghanistan. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure you do. It's a beautiful conversation. This one is related and was also recorded in Brussels last year. But Simone is back in the interview chair, so don't despair. (laughs) We were there for From Kabul to Bamako, which debuted in the theatre and had this fabulous score, a snippet of which you hear each week on this podcast. It was music directed by Syed Asadi, and it's played by too many wonderful musicians to list here, but you can find out more via the link in today's podcast description. Okay, so our interview today is with Zuleika Shahzad, founder of the fashion social enterprise Zarif Design, made in Kabul. We discuss the rich history and tradition and culture of her city, as well as Zulaika's own story and how she works. I learned so much from talking with her. And I think whether you have visited Afghanistan, it's your country, or you've only read about it in the news, that you will too. This interview, of course, as it must, goes into war and displacement. Forty years after they fled the Soviet invasion in significant numbers, as of March 2020, there was still 1.4 million registered Afghani refugees living in Pakistan. And you will hear Zalaika talk about Peshawar. But beyond that, this conversation is about hope. It's about peace and collaboration and the language of art, poetry, music, textiles, and our favourite subject, the power of fashion to make positive change. Quick thank you for all your messages about and support for the podcast. We love bringing you these stories and we love it even more when you share them. Please keep the ratings and reviews coming and keep telling your friends to subscribe. As you probably know, I've got my own podcast too. It's called Wardrobe Crisis. So you can find me there. And Simone and the EFI team are online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and on Instagram at ethicalfashion. Now, put the kettle on, make yourself a cup of tea and join us for a cultural exchange with Zuleika Shezad. Here we are in Brussels.
2: Simone.
0: Hello, I am here with Zulaika Sherzad for a wonderful occasion.
2: Welcome Zulaika. Thank you Claire for having me and Simone.
0: It's such a pleasure.
1: I want to just begin by saying the name of a city to you, Kabul. What does it make you think if you haven't been there Simone?
0: But people ordinarily think about war, about conflict about uh, disrespect of human rights because of some groups who misinterpret their religious allegiances and who behave in awful ways against women, against diversity. But for those who have a historical and cultural perspective, Kabul also recalls exchange of cultures, meetings of cultures. Afghanistan is one of the places where Alexander the Great arrived, setting up a kingdom which was the meeting point in between the East and the West. And Kabul and Afghanistan are also one of the places where Buddhism arrived, coming up from India and nowadays Pakistan and going up to Central Asia. Kabul is also about exchange, meeting in a positive way. So it's very weird that today we have this image of war and at the same time you have this historical cultural legacy.
1: You also have bombs, destruction and misery, right? And we do read those things in the headlines and they are real. But Zuleika, that's not how you grew up there. When I say the name of
2: Kabul to you, what do you think? Uh, For me, Kabul, uh, which is the town I was born, has seen all colors, uh, really. It has seen terrible uh, moments uh, during the civil war, during the Soviet war. But what brought me back is the hope that I saw within that context. It was really true, uh, I think, the people that I see this resilience that humanity, despite the context, there is something stronger that has attracted me. So through this little work, the project that I have, somehow it's an environment when you really feel the simplicity, the life, the daily life that people have to struggle. They don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. That's for sure. There is this instability that has been consistent. But then there is the, the tomorrow. Tomorrow is the next day. And uh, I think the power of the humanity, the human being that is uh, the most inspiring for me, that attracts me there. You
1: set up a social enterprise, Zarif, which is based on beautiful tailoring on fabrics, on fashion skills. And now you work with the ao 5 You started off with a small team. How many people to begin with? I had eight women on one master tailor.
2: And you're in Kabul. In Kabul. What kind of neighborhood? Uh, it was the best uh, yeah. place, uh, Sharnau, which is the city center, okay. Sharnau. It's called New City. And then I have another workshop, which is on the old town next to the river. So it's two small workshops. One does training and the other one does production.
0: There's also a more poetic vision that I have to convey about the workshop of Zolaika. It's a courtyard, a squared one, All around there are these small buildings, small houses, small rooms. In each room there is some work going on. In one there is embroidery, in one there is cutting, in one there is stitching. In a perfect harmony and in the middle of the courtyard there is a melogram which is a very poetic symbol. what? A melogran, the pomegranate. How do you say this in English? Pomegranate? The pomegranate.
2: Pomegranate. A
0: pomegranate just in the middle of this, a big one, very beautiful. And in the back there's a kitchen, food as a way to share every time i go there i cannot avoid sitting and having tea and eating and interacting with all the people around so like i would call that place not a workshop but a heaven of peace Hmm. i'm really attracted also by the cultural heritage of the place and by the contemporary cultural scene, even if it is not necessarily in Kabul, but which is an Afghan cultural scene. I think about a great writer you introduced me to, and Atik Raimi, who is one of the great writers of today, and he will be involved in the thing for which we are here today. But I also think about the heritage of the Persian Islam. The introduction of Islam into the Persian world was a second introduction and propagation of Islam with a specific language, with a specific poetry. I think about the languages spoken in northern Afghanistan, yeah. the Dari you learned me to love, in the region and the calligraphy and all the rest.
2: Yeah, I think people tend to forget about Afghanistan before the war. People does not yeah. know about Afghanistan. I think what Simone says is to highlight that Afghanistan was part of a greater history of culture and tradition. And the tradition was much bigger, uh, that has Sufis, that has poetry, that bridges to east uh, from the textile that Simone, oh, we have been, you know, absolutely. it's really a cross-cultural route that we don't speak about it anymore because the war was so devastating that, uh, and I think through the immigration that you know the writer that uh, Simone was mentioning at Ikraimi or people even like me who have tried to see this connection back. Because we left with that heritage somehow. And we are trying to bring it back with a structure that is not in place. You know, we have lost some poets, uh, some people that were key into building this institution.
0: And uh, Zola, I, I want to ask you a question. You, you really left uh, when you were small because you left when you were 11 years old and you left as a political refugee. What was your Kabul like when you were a small child? Can you describe us the city, the Kabul of your memory as a child, seen with the eyes of a child?
2: I think the Kabul that I remember uh, was a peaceful city. Of course, that period of your life is mainly school, home, and the home was a beautiful garden. My grandfather loved gardening, so we had like, you know, different kind of flowers and roses, uh, you trail
1: had, roses
2: I was walking behind you in the street
1: yesterday and you smelled beautifully of roses yeah I am um, wow. I think for
2: me Afghanistan is the smell is the sky is the mountain it's more than anything it's also the people mm. that kind of inhabit that and I was raised in a, with uh, you know a family that were also artists so I was exposed to music we had Indian classical music Indian would come
0: classical music, concert
2: yeah. that would start like you know at 10pm or we'll finish at 4am you know children would just fall asleep on the garden There was, you know, there was a sense of peace, but there was a sense of joy. There was a sense of, of course, everybody have their struggle, but I felt like it was a culture that was a generous culture, Mm. you know. uh, You would go to see, uh, when you go to the markets, people were like, you know, generous. You sit around, I mean, even now you find that Mm. this custom of uh, purchasing is not just purchasing, it's about an exchange. You sit down and have a cup of tea. And I think that's a challenge right now, if you go even to a ministry, you have a cup of tea. Tea. so i think those customs are very important in terms of connecting as a human being so Absolutely. it's not anymore a transaction of paper on currency it's a transaction of humanity and i think that's what i feel like it was there and it's still there but on a, a more fragile state it because is there's pressure on
0: i remember a photo that i saw of the grandfather of yours you showed me this photo when we were together in kabul and an extremely elegant man, a handsome man, I would say, an extremely handsome man. And then I remembered when I saw this photo about the conversation with Carlo Damario, who is the CEO of Even Westwood. Westwood yeah. And Carlo told me, used to tell me, that he used to work in Afghanistan in the 70s and that it was a great pleasure to work there because there was an incredible sense of aesthetics. Ah, he, the was of of beauty, Absolutely, yeah. he was yeah. producing skirts. He was producing skirts and other things and embroidery for an important Italian brand. So this is really what yeah. Afghanistan. This is yeah. the heritage of yeah. the country. So
2: there, there was two things. There's Afghanistan. You know, you have the provinces. You know, and then you have Kabul. Kabul was somehow people were saying in the '70s was the Paris of the Orient. You know, people would come to Kabul, and you know, people would take the drive from Paris to Kabul. A lot of uh, you know, Alighiero boiti was uh, in ah, Afghanistan. Who's that? Uh, I don't know. Who is
0: that? Ah, a great Italian artist ah. who, who used, used to live and work on embroidery and Tapestry in Afghanistan. Today his works of art are at the moment everywhere. 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 He's, He's great like the artist. biggest
2: artist that use textile on Broadway into, you know, he has beautiful, beautiful maps of the monde. Of yes. The, monde. the maps, yeah. Uh, the map so, but I think what's important, even so, the capital was like somehow the elite on that, like uh, like every cities, every you know, many countries have that. But there was still an exchange between the provinces and Kabul which is, I think at the end, became extreme. Like Kabul became really the center stage and then the province that was disconnected. I believe, I'm not 100% sure, that there was a fluidity between the provinces, the mayor of the, you know, each uh, province to the Kabul. And I think after what the issue happened, there was a fraction between mm-hmm. these two places and mm-hmm. we still have it. We have Kabul that has become like a hub and then you have the provinces that are disconnected. Therefore, because of the wars, those 30 years of war, it's even more disconnected from information from people that are coming back the returnees everybody coming back to kabul which create a challenge for right now We're going to talk about
1: that displacement and also that repatriation, but we're recording this in Brussels, where tonight there's going to be a very special performance that's been created to close the EU's international colloquium on culture for the future, it's called, which is Creativity, Innovation and Dialogue for Inclusive Development. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful, but basically, it's the culmination of 10 years of talking about how we can use culture and the arts to encourage things like job creation and social inclusion and basically make the world better. And tonight, there is a play that's called Kabul to Bamako. Do I say that well? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's Mali's capital. I've never been. Kabul to Bamako. And it's theatre with amazing music and costumes. And the costumes have been created by the Ethical Fashion Initiative artisans in Afghanistan, Burkina, and in Mali. Zalaika, you're involved. The outfits from Afghanistan have been made in your slow fashion atelier.
2: Yes, I'm really honored to be part of this play. It's an incredible, so I am very thankful to Ethical Fashion to involve me in that. Some of the costumes are done by Zarif Design, which is my social enterprise. That we were talking about culture, my slogan for Zarif was also always been, since a couple of years, building the future through creativity. And I think it's very important because in order to support the artisans or the human being, you have to go into their skills, what they have as a skill that could empower them as a human being and then translate it within their culture. And I think for me, the textile had that uh, power. You know, we have artisans that have that skills from, you know, it's not a skill that you have to go to school to study it. They have it in the but culture. It through generations. Yes. So working with weavers, I mean, initially I didn't work with weavers. I went to buy vintage fabrics you that up-cycled. I dismantled. Upcycled. Yeah. And at the end, I just realized I can't do that anymore because I wasn't expecting that we we'll would grow. I really started this project as a pilot project in 2005, and then it became bigger, and I went back to the roots of where it was produced and just realized that there are still people who knows how to do it. And so basically, I think this whole chain value that ethical fashion is working on, from the weaver to the tailor to the customer— And I am in between each of them, I am somehow the bridge kind of between the customer to the tailor, the tailor to the weaver. And I think that's a beautiful kind of, uh, you know, we're talking about this play on having it in this uh, play. It's beautiful Mm. to see how we can navigate from those places on cultural transition in this whole development of the costumes. Clara Bauer, who the director of the play was... uh, amazing in term of really looking at what was there through my work on seeing how we can adapt it to something that was not too strong but at the same time very open to connect between kabul to bamako so we worked on colors mainly well i'm looking at you
1: now you're wearing a bright bright yellow like a saffron yellow jacket with a shot of kind of what even color is that i'm going to call it purple violet violet violet, violet,
2: yes. violet silk cuffs just talk about that jacket. Uh, the jacket, I think I was inspired by the lining first, which is, this is the map of Kabul from a satellite. Oh, wow. I, it's, uh, I made a couple of scarves, so it's a satellite. This is a collaboration with a friend of mine. She's uh, Persian, and she does maps. So I asked her to do a couple of Kabul's maps. So, and then uh, the yellow has been the theme of the project uh, this year for me. It's a flower called esparak. So it's a natural dye. And what's the what is cotton. the weave? It's a hand-woven cotton from Mazar. Beautiful. Yes.
0: Fashion is a form of cultural diplomacy because fashion brings is about identity. And uh, we human beings we are all migrants, we are all nomads who cross this uncharted territory of life in search of meaning. This is what we are. And fashion is one of the elements that can allow us to acquire an identity and to share an identity. Because identities, real identities, are never closed, To create are never meant to create a barrier, but are something to open a dialogue. Building an identity through fashion in a proper way is a way to open yourself to a dialogue on identities with other people mm. and to accept playing with other people around that. Art is something, I would say, more serious. Art is a vision of the world. Art tells us where the world is heading, what is going to happen to us, human beings. But in the daily moments of life, in this communion of destiny that we have with the other human beings, fashion plays a role. And bringing together fashion and art in this play is a way to show that. This is a play about displacement, about the fact that we are all migrants in a certain way and we are all looking for an identity. And that's why, in this case, art brought together with fashion leads us to think about the nature of the human being. And if you really think about this, You cannot be a racist, you cannot be about division, you cannot be about conflict. It's a hymn, the one of this evening, to peace and collaboration. That's what it is, but it's the language of art. Mm. So it doesn't speak about this openly in a didactical way. It speaks to your emotions. It speaks to your belly. It speaks to the inner side of you. And by doing this, it takes you to reasoning about that.
1: Well, it's It's emotional, emotional, isn't it? It's 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 emotional. It's
0: extremely emotional. When I met with Clara, I met with Clara thanks to Daniel Pennac, the French writer. Clara was staging a play written by Daniel Pennac. And I went to see this play and I was mesmerized. (laughs) It's beautiful. Then I went to see... Clara, 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 Clara. And uh, when I called her, we became friends. When I called her to do this play, I told her I know a fantastic person, Zolaika Sherzad. You will sit together. By the way, yesterday evening, I went to see Clara, and, and Clara told me, hey, Simone, like, she speaks like this, she's very, Simone, Zolaika is top. And, <laughs> and, and she's right. And she's right. She's absolutely right. And we brainstormed in my office with our team, with Sabrina, with Chloe, who've been following this. Closely, and Sabrina's been working on this, Sabrina Herzog and Chloe Mukai. We sat together and brainstormed about this, and she came with a book written by Atik Raimi, this wonderful book on on Kalim Orfian. And reading this book together, reading these words together, the play came out. It's something unique, and it reminds us of another thing: that at the end of the day fashion can be a very serious thing. <laughs> no,
1: it's your catchphrase and you're yes. thumping the table <laughs> yes it's
0: something very serious because it's not only about trends it's not only about this it's about this as well yeah but it's an industry
1: it's we, also a huge connector isn't it a I mean, huge even when connector we bring it back down to something just so basic as i'm delighted by your jacket it breaks down barriers it makes you feel something and it also makes it easy to talk i think
0: Absolutely. And it's something that was born in the 80s. The real industry that we see today was born in the 80s. So it's something very young. We don't know what this industry is going to develop into. What we know today Mm -hmm. is that this industry manages a huge supply chain that extends all over the so-called developing world. So it has a huge potential in terms of giving work to people, poverty reduction, reduction of impact, in changing the world for the better.
1: You
2: can interrupt him.
1: (laughs) I can see you like to. I I am still
2: on what uh, Simone said before about what is clothes. And I think we're talking about that clothes is beyond fashion. Because I think the word fashion has taken away what clothes is. And we talked about it briefly before I met you. Clothes is our first home. It's you know we have our skin as a first layer to protection from the inside and outside and then clothes is almost this first layer of identity mm. of protection On culture, you know, identity, which is the culture. And I think uh, what I liked about what you said, Simone, that this clothes is allowing us to navigate between cultures. Like having you wear one of my jackets, you're carrying Kabul with you. And, you know, I have this bracelet from Nairobi. I feel like I still have Nairobi in my hand in a way. It's beautiful. it's Mm. it's, It's like Afghan. It could be Afghan. That's where we see how much... There is connection. You know, on the stage, I was moved yesterday during the repetition. There's a moment when you, the camera, just looking at each phases, the repetition of the play for tonight, and you see those faces, and you go beyond, you know, who we are and, you know, where we are from. So in a way, I think really clothing, that's the theme in a way for me. How can we use clothing as a way to bring the cultural but also kind of dissolve it so it becomes that's appropriated you know to another culture that's why my jackets I try to do them a little bit more modern. It's interesting that you
1: suggest that clothes can be seen as like your first home or your first refuge but when you started looking for your first creative home it was actually in the physical in architecture and in actual homes and buildings tell us a story about how you moved to New York and
2: what you started out wanting to create. From Kabul, we went to uh, Iran, where we were hoping to go back to Afghanistan. We thought it's going to be a coup, and then it's, you know. Unfortunately, we had another coup in Iran with uh, the like 6 months uh, later 6 or months later crazy. so we had to unpack the same way i'm going to refer to the play all the time there's a moment you know you pack again your things and you just on the move again without knowing where exactly i mean i wasn't i didn't speak french i was going to learn it but just spoke uh, dari so we arrived in switzerland uh, you know the context is quite uh, different and uh, i really took refuge in school which i felt like you know first of all education in switzerland is uh, the best and i uh, very lucky to have amazing teachers. That school became my home. I spent most of my time in, you know, in school or library. And uh, I think that was became my mission, what I wanted to achieve in my life. You uh, must have been ever so strong mentally to learn a
1: new language, dedicate yourself to studies. Yeah, but again, I, mean,
2: I think the fact that the home was very unstable pushed me. You know, it's amazing how things, when it doesn't work, it becomes also an opportunity in another way. So in a way, my, I took more refuge in school, which gave me something different. And I really pushed hard and managed to get to, to the School of Architecture. Why architecture? I wanted to do something that was artistic, so architecture was really this combination of doing something that is, uh, you know, for a human being, but uh, with uh, some level of aesthetic. Yesterday we were talking about this and I said, God,
1: it's very profound to be then buildings, architecture, working in the physicality of creating refuges and creating homes and you said I never thought of it like that I never thought when I
2: decided to do the architect you know the time I was in Switzerland I didn't look back to Afghanistan I had no desire to go to Afghanistan I was building myself as a an adult so I did architecture to be an architect in Switzerland <laughs> but I think once I moved from Switzerland to New York that's where really I question do they need an architect in New York and I started looking at the uh, organization that were Afghan engineers and how can I connect to the people that were potentially doing something in Afghanistan. And very quickly I realized all those meetings end up being political meetings. Hmm. There was no one really doing something physical in Afghanistan. That's during the Taliban. So it's really New York I started seeking, how can I help Afghanistan? What are the ways for me? I decided to do this non-for-profit helping schools, uh, which I call the School of Hope. Because for me, that was my hope. And I felt like, if for me, school was a hope in Switzerland, which is a safe environment, imagine in a a war country, school is like a a treasure. You leave your home, which is like, you know, there's so much issues that, you know, you don't have a space anymore as a child. So just going to school, even in Switzerland for me, was a a time that I could reflect and project my life.
0: I met you in New York several times and I've always been mesmerized by the fact that you are trained as an architect in New York, but then you wanted to go back to Afghanistan. You wanted to go back to where you were from. You fled the country. You had to rebuild a new life. You had to find a new identity. You had to put yourself into the framework of new languages, French, English, and cultures. And then you go back to origin. Why?
2: There was this longing and there was also this uh, the desire to give back. Because I felt like really I received a lot throughout this journey. So I I really wanted to go back in a way to give back. But you actually, there was a bit of fate intercepting,
1: wasn't there? Because you just happened upon a guy who was selling carpets and you were like, I
2: just, you felt drawn to this person. Yes. So in New York in uh, 2000, while there was a Taliban, uh, while I was really seeking what to do, I went uh, to this carpet store, which was owned by Rahim Walizada, which is a dear friend now and I saw those beautiful carpets and right away it just took me back Mm. to my culture and I asked him you know what can we do I mean there's anything you think I can do go back to Afghanistan I said Afghanistan I don't know but I work in Peshawar so I will guide you just go to Peshawar and I said I would like to you know open some schools so that was the initial and right away after two months after I met him we organized an event at his store which was in Crosby you know in Soho Beautiful store of only carpets. And we did a fundraising event, which was uh, our first fundraising event, where I brought a photographer, a Sufi dancer, Sharokh, and uh, musicians. So, really exposing the culture, which I kind of created it by bringing people together on doing something positive to inspire people to fundraise for Afghanistan, not with a face of war or a face of victimized, but with a strong face saying that Afghanistan is a place of hope. And please help us to be part of it. And we fundraise about $7,000. And then left for Peshawar with myself and my husband. And what was there, though? There were big refugee camps there. So in we arrived Pakistan, in Peshawar right? because uh, there was no visa issue in, in New York for, for that time. So uh, we arrived in Peshawar and we saw all those refugee camps. And I was extremely saddened and moved because people were, you know, very sad. Yes. And the, everybody we interviewed said we want to go back, but it's too late now; we cannot go back. I said, but there is war. I said we prefer to be back home rather than here. And that's the time I said, you know, we have to go to Afghanistan. And that's during the Taliban. So my husband, who's uh, Swiss-French, and I had a passport which is like a travel pass. He got the visa. For Afghanistan and I didn't get the visa so he went to <laughs> Afghanistan instead of me for the first time and he came back with uh, he said you know well, we started our first school in Hazni province for uh, you know we started with some basic uh, reconstruction and then at the secondary sponsorship for, for teachers fast forward
1: and September the 11th happens and talking about having empathy for Afghanistan in New York becomes much more difficult
2: yeah, uh, I found myself like a year after, suddenly on a, on a city of also hate for Afghanistan. Suddenly the, the conversation's changed, right? Conversation Everyone changed. Everyone sees fear. Everyone saw so fear. I said, what can I do here? And I really went from one school to another school because I was helping schools to give, to speak about... In Afgh- New, York, in New York. To kids, right. Uh, and basically... Managed to have those kids fundraising for schools back in Kabul. I was doing exchange letters, so I brought letters from Afghanistan of kids saying, we want peace, like bird signs. And it was so moving. I brought kites and just showing that kids are kids. Those people are not the Taliban. The Taliban is, you know, a result of the war. And I think I managed to really inspire some people. Uh, they were fundraising by themselves on supporting schools in in Hazni province. And for me, suddenly the door became open and I couldn't wait to go back to Afghanistan. So in 2002, March, I was back in Afghanistan. Simone, you must have seen
1: also many examples of displacement. You've visited camps, you've dealt with refugees in many different countries.
0: Unfortunately, yes, refugees, and, and not only refugees, but also displaced people. One of the first groups we worked with in Uganda many years ago, 12 years ago, was a group of internally displaced women. They had lost their husbands because of the war in the north of the country, and uh, and they were displaced in Kampala, and they lived miserably. They had some artisanal skills, and we started working together. It's a reality all over the so called developing world. Recently, we were putting down on paper a few words that characterize our work, and one of the first words was conflict and displacement. It's everywhere. We work in Afghanistan, we work in Africa, we work in Western Africa and the Sahel. That region is now called the Sahelistan because it has striking and dangerous similarities with Afghanistan. Widespread conflict, social conflict, war in some places, rebellion, terrorism, and the progressive and dangerous collapse of the state. And this is something that brings together all our work. We use the supply chain of fashion, to regenerate through work the social capital of societies, which means to regenerate those bridges, those linkages of trusts, those bonds of trust in between people from different groups, from different origins. Fashion gives you the opportunity to do that because of the supply chain, because of giving work to people, and because of a fact. The fashion supply chain is made of several different stages that have to collaborate To produce a bag, you have somebody to make the leather, somebody to cut it, somebody to cast the metal fittings, somebody to stitch, somebody... It's a huge amount of collaboration in between different people.
1: Was this something you understood before you began Zarif?
2: How did that happen? I think the transition between the sponsorship of schools to uh, Zarif came very in a way um, organically uh, but also I just realized you know how many of those students can go to university not many of them so I was looking at vocational training center mainly just making a little um, I was inspired by the Bauhaus movement when I was uh, studying architecture which is also like you know a post-war where creativity become you don't look very Bauhaus. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think the movement, the, the yeah, synergy yeah. that using crafts and arts as a way to really utilize it. And um, so basically, uh, I felt like vocational training was one thing that uh, potentially can really use this new generation that has a hope on energy that need to be utilized. Because if not, you end up being again in a war. You know, You cannot go to school at the age of 18. After the fall of the Taliban, you had a generation that didn't go to school. So what do you do with those? You have to train them into skills. And you have like 60% women now, right? But you have men and women working alongside each other. Yes, I have master tailors that are the one that cuts the garment. And then I have women that are seamstresses and embroiderers. And that
0: tells something about the impact of this fashion thing. I often hear a sentence on which I partially disagree and strongly disagree. The only sustainable piece of fashion, of garment, is the one which is already in your closet. But this is true from the point of view of the environment. And the human ecosystem is made by the physical environment and by the social environment. And in the social environment, you need work. You need work. If you remove all production, if you remove all these kind of experiences from all the countries that need work and production, the social environment collapses. So it's not proper to say that the only piece of God, the only sustainable one is that the not only the environmentally sustainable. sustainable, one. Yeah, sustainable. Yeah, the only yeah. environmental is but there is social sustainability. And in this industry, there's a problem. We have a problem in the industry of fashion. And the problem is that everybody means sustainability as being environmental sustainability. And it's because it's easier. Because being environmentally sustainable... I think sustainable, I'm guilty of this. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's, easier. it's easier because it, it, you engage, but there are technical ways to do it. While being socially sustainable is caring about people, ensuring that everybody has dignified and proper working conditions and going through the supply chains. And this is the real challenge today. If we don't regenerate, the social capital of our world will never stop conflict and this gradual descent into abyss, which is the world of today.
1: Mm. Let's just talk about how you do that in terms of ethical production. So how do you structure it? And how do you Um, ensure that everyone is treated with dignity, paid a living wage,
2: I think that was the core of uh, when I started, you know, I really started Zerif with this mission and vision to bring women and men together in an environment that was peaceful more than anything, because I I had no need of doing production. It's using production as a way to bring them together, on giving them back a sense of pride, a sense of identity, a sense of a team, uh, you know, a professional environment where women and men were treated equally, but also... Economic power. You know, a woman that leaves their home at the, you know, in 2005, which was like three years after the Taliban, they were not allowed to go home. They were not allowed to be showing their beyond their hand.
0: This is why we speak about social return of investment in our accounting in the social enterprise because you have to give a meaning to the the expression of social enterprise. A social enterprise has to be able to calculate the social return of the investment and so the social impact and the environmental impact. In the social return of investment is exactly this, and we have to learn to attach a value to that, because this is one of the big issues of the world of today, the moment in which this industry can be cheap when it wants to be cheap because it doesn't pay uh, labor and it doesn't pay for the negative externalities on the environment. If we paid everything it wouldn't be cheap and it would be a factor of sustainability and we could measure the social return of the Mm. investment along with the economic return of it which is necessary.
1: I'm interested in particularly the gender aspect of what you're doing because again just talking as someone who's never visited Afghanistan the stereotype is that well how can men and women... Women work together? Are they allowed? How
2: does that work? Talk to us a little bit about how you've structured that. Yeah. I was also very surprised how easy it was to bring men and women together. I think the power of just doing something together, this production of this new line on clothing, really just kind of erased the rest. You know, people came for the production of the clothes. Women were there to be part of the production of this. I mean, I have a manager, she's a woman. My supervisor, the key people are women. and I never was asked, you know, uh, as a woman, you know, I was talking to the weaver, master weaver, they come with their turban. First, I was intimidated a little bit, but very quickly, we were so focused on just working, Designing, talking about colors and patterns and dyes, that the differences just... Isn't that ...vanished. And I think for those women that... Uh, you know, comes from home, and I uh, probably, you know, that a family lives on a large number, so, uh, you know, you are three families in the same home. To leave their home on coming in the space where they are, you know, they're themselves. Suddenly, they're not like the wife and the sister and the, they are just themselves. And they have a different dialogue. For me, already, that I a creative, you know, they discover themselves, you know, they're new face, in a way. And they have a different interaction between each other, so it's quite beautiful. And what I love also, the you know, I mean, now, unfortunately, we don't have enough people coming in from uh, outside. For me, my workshop was also this kind of connection between East and West again. With this international community that is in Afghanistan, it was the perfect place to have people coming. You know, when Simone comes and, you know, the way he came and the way he greeted my, my team they were, they were still moved by uh, his personality because there's so much humanity suddenly you give faces to those people that you hear you know western and mm. eastern when you have faces suddenly all of that becomes so important
1: you ended up by bringing back to this conversation those two vital words with which we began which were humanity and connection Do you want to finish, Zalaika, just by telling us what your hope is for the future of this project and maybe even what listeners can do to be a part of it?
2: For me, as uh, my own experience, is that despite our situation of being refugees, internally displaced and all of that, we're human beings and we're going to make it happen. There is hope, you know, there's this climate change, there's all of that. But the human spirit could, you know, potentially be a winner if we become one, if we all connect to each other and have a similar vision. And I think that what's happening right now is this whole disconnection and judgment, and Simone talked about it, racism, um, on categorizing all, as you said, we're all nomad. We can all lose our home any day. By now, climate change. Mm. Any day we can use. What does it mean? We lose everything, but at the end, we're always we have something within us. And where do we find keeps home? I suppose. Yeah, I think that's Indeed. a very important. We're Indeed. all seekers of our own home. Our home is beyond this physical, beyond borders, beyond race and colors, on language. So it's, that's why we have music in this play where the, suddenly you have a flute from Iran and then you have, uh, everything is mixing in a way that is, uh, this is our home, you know, our spirit that is this resilience and so. Yeah, ah, it's beautiful.
0: Indeed, Life beautiful. is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Life is about hope. Our work is about hope. We believe in what we do. A lot of people tell us, why do you do it? Why do you do it if you see that there is still conflict? Why do you do that? It's about hope. And hope is something that you want to see realized in the future, even if you don't physically see it. There is nothing bigger and more beautiful than working for something bigger than you, for something that goes beyond your lifetime. <music> Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion.
1: Just don't shout because I feel like it's quite Ah, noisy. Okay, just the rest. Yeah, yeah, go on.
0: I have the syndrome of the...
1: Will you have silent the, or shouting?
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I have the syndrome of the presenter in in an old Italian ballroom. Uh, huh. where I, <laughs> I love it. Because I used to be a waiter when I was in university. And the way the, I used to work in a restaurant, which after dinner was transformed into a ballroom. So... It was fun. So
1: did you say, and now it's time for the dancing. And
0: now, adesso si balla. And everybody, boom, boom. (laughs) Can you help spread the word and share our story with your friends on social media? Our mission is to work towards sustainable development and create long-term impact in the communities where we operate. Through extensive training and mentorship, we build capacity and enable artisans to produce for the international market. Through this program, workers are empowered and can lift themselves out of poverty. Not charity, just work.